Welcome to The Legal Tea, the podcast we interview lawyers bring beyond corporate law. Each week you'll hear about their practice area, the work they do, and the roads they've taken to get there. I'm your host, Max Herberg. This episode is sponsored by SOAS Law Society. Aligned in our values of inclusivity and diversity within the legal profession, SOAS stands out as a law society that cares about its members. So if you're at least curious, be sure to check them out at soaslawsoc.com. Welcome back to another episode. In light of this week's dramatic and unfortunate events, ranging from Harry and Meghan's Oprah Winfrey interview to the murder of Sarah Everard, we decided to use this week's episode to focus on some positives. For despite all the negatives that the pandemic has brought, one of the resounding benefits has been innovation. You see, the FT reported this week that since the start of the pandemic, 4.4 million new businesses have been registered in the US and 835,000 have been registered in the UK. And this is an isolated developed economies. The World Intellectual Property Organization, also known as WIPO, has reported in the past year patent registrations have increased globally by 4%, with significant growth being attributed to developing economies. Which is why I'm here this week to help us break down this countercyclical trend that the economic recession of the pandemic has brought and more is Carolina Hansen, legal officer in the legislative and policy advice section at WIPO. In the episode, we discuss working at WIPO, specifically her work in creating and developing IP systems for developing countries, the centrality of a tailored IP system to economic growth and development, and debunking the myths surrounding patents and IP as being anti-innovation. Outside the IP lingo, we charter Carolina's legal journey from qualifying and specializing in Colombia at a local law firm to working on the global stage, and how in retrospect, it's not only possible, but also necessary to distinguish between the corporate legal culture and the legal work at these corporate firms. So without further ado, sit back, relax, brew yourself a cuppa, and enjoy the show. Hi, Carolina. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. How are you doing? Hi, Max. How are you? I'm fine. I'm very good as well. Now, we've got a lot of things to talk about, but before we jump in, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, so I'm Carolina Hansen. I'm a Colombian lawyer. I was born in a small town in Colombia that is called Bucaramanga. And then I moved to the big city, to Bogota, to study law. And since the beginning of my career, I worked in intellectual property, especially in patents. And I've been working in that field since, I don't know, like 15 years ago. I worked in two big law firms in Colombia. And then I moved to Geneva to work in the World Intellectual Property Organization, WIPO. And I work in WIPO as a lawyer in the legislative and policy advice section of the patent law division. And here I am. <laughs> this is a brief of my a summary of my career, fast summary. A very brief to what's, what is an exciting and very long journey. Yes. And we'll unpack all of that. But first off, why don't we start at the, the very end, the kind of WIPO. So the World Intellectual Property Organization. What is it and what does it do? Okay, WIPO, it's uh, the global forum for intellectual property. 
Uh, it's uh, one of the U United Nations agencies and WIPO provides services like intellectual property services for registering IP rights, cooperation for uh, the different member states that are member of WIPO in developing policies, IP systems, uh, also offering information and data related to intellectual property. And it's like the international forum where all countries come in one and discuss different IP topics. So it's the International Authority on All Things IP. Yes. IP, it's, you know, for those that doesn't know, it's a patents that uh, protect innovation, trademarks, copyright, domain names, uh, traditional knowledge. There's a lot of areas at WIPO with a lot of people working in different uh, specializations. Fantastic. So intellectual property, patents, copyrights, trademarks, etc. Essentially, if you were to kind of try to explain it to, say, somebody who isn't familiar with these terms, it's basically the law protecting people's ideas, would you say? Or? Yes, I would say it's more like the, the law protecting the intangible assets that uh, that the that the people develop and the ideas come into tangible intangible assets that we protect in different ways so an invention a technological invention a brand uh, like the name of your company a work of art or literature all of this there is like a creativity innovation has these different forms of protection and this is intellectual property Fantastic. And so you were saying that you worked as a lawyer in the legislation and policy area. So what does that involve? Uh, this uh, involves providing uh, the member states, like the governments of the countries, uh, if the different options to either develop or put in place an IP system for a developing countries or like least developing countries that doesn't have one IP system. Specifically, I work with patents and utility model, trade secrets. So we help countries to build uh, the law or the regulations or the legal framework to develop an IP system, or if they already had one, to review that laws that are not matching their, their um, interest or their economy or their current needs to build a, a stronger system for, the, for them. So I help and I work with different government institutions and stakeholders in charge of this uh, part of creating legal frameworks to like write the laws, write the regulations that really fit their needs depending on the level of development and economy and uh, plans of the countries. So on a day-to-day -day basis then, you are talking with governments and politicians from all these different countries? Yes, I, I will say more like uh, government officials in the intellectual properties agencies or authorities in the countries. I won't say they're politicians, but they are more like technical people that work in those areas. And uh, there are the people that are like uh, applying or using or not using, but implementing the intellectual property system in their countries running these institutions and they want our guidance or in my case my day-to-day -day work is to talk to them and uh, respond their request on different questions they have regarding their law if their law is not enough how to implement a certain the procedure to for example protect an invention 
uh, how to implement regulation for the users or inventors to apply to certain benefit, like, for example, obtaining a patent. So I talk, we said member states at WIPO, but member states uh, are represented uh, by the different authorities that run these uh, intellectual property offices or, or uh, institutions or agencies. So basically, then you correspond with the local kind of technical authority in helping develop or improve or even build, say, the intellectual property system. So why don't we start off first with the fundamentals? What makes a good intellectual property system? Well, a good intellectual property system, it's a one that really benefit all the actors involved. So uh, this is all about balance. So you need to have the rights in place or I will say the law in place for the people to use the system and to get protection of their different IP assets that we were talking about, even if it's an invention or a brand or an art literature. But also it should have an impact in the community and in the country's economy and development. So a good system there is not one size fit all for for like uh, all the countries. Each countries have different needs, different level of development. So, for example, what we really do is like what are the the plans of the government? What are the different sectors of the economy they want to encourage? And we help them to build legal regimes or uh, regulatory frameworks that help them to encourage the the inventors or the people to use this system and really have an impact on the economy. It's balanced. You 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 may have the rights in place, but also there are some other needs that you need to take into account. Some countries have a strong IP rights. Some others have less strong systems, uh, but. What, what we need is to, to check the specific country. I, I always say countries are like a client in, for a lawyer and they express their needs, what they want to do. And then you design or help them to design legal framework that really help to build a system that benefits the, 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 the community, everyone involved. And so how does that work? Uh, you say, you know, all your clients are different countries. And IP systems have to fit that particular country. You're essentially not only advising on the legal aspects, but I'm sure you're kind of exploring, say, the economic effects, the social effects, the kind of political effects. So how do you manage that, you know, especially helping country to country? Well, it's a, a not easy, a not easy uh, task because you need to first like research, get to know the country, get to know the political environment, of course, the economic development, what are the strengths of the country, what are the fields that the country is good at or want to be good at, for example, if there's if there is a lot of agricultural involved or if the country is more like a touristic a, a country that want to improve all these services or these fields of the economy, then you need to talk to the government officials and see what is are the problems that are blocking uh, them to develop this these sectors and what we do in especially in my case patents encourage innovation you know so patents it's a like the reward for an inventor when there is an innovation involved so when there are patents in place uh, there are companies invest in more in developing more and more technologies and this will not only impact the company but also 
it creates employee, it benefits the economy. Also, individual inventors may be able to create around all these inventions. So this is like a whole environment or ecosystem, like we said, but to have a good ecosystem in place for a specific country, you need to know the country and then to design a law that adjusts to their needs. But it's not also that I need also to research what are the legal, the international commitments. There are like international treaties in intellectual property that WIPO administer. Most of them are administered by WIPO. And we need to check what are the commitments of the country. And based on that, there are different options that I can offer to a country. Like, do you want to have a patents for, for these uh, certain technologies? Do you want to exclude some technologies that are allowed to exclude from the international treaties? Uh, do you want to have utility models in place, which is uh, another uh, like a, a petite patent, we said, like a little short patent that is usually used by local inventors. So it's a very difficult but exciting world because I need to be super prepared to talk to the government officials. I need to know all in detail because we are the intellectual property authority. We are the technical organization. And in order to engage to these discussions, you need to know them and to, to be an expert on that country for that specific moment. So it's a, it's a challenge, but great. <laughs> no, and, and that's amazing. The idea that A, WIPO undertakes all this research with these particular countries, but also B, that you offer such a vast amount of customization within the ecosystem that you're helping them build. It's not that you're imposing an ecosystem no. on them, but in fact, you're helping them build an organic ecosystem. Yeah, it's a tailor-made laws or regulations or advice for them to, to be able to have a healthy IP ecosystem that really helps the, the, the country or the community. Now, why do you think it's especially important for developing countries to develop their own IP systems? Because uh, it's been demonstrated, I think, among the, the years that uh, IP assets or intangible assets are really impacts the economy in a good way. Uh, in the past, uh, companies where there were a lot of tangible assets, but now when you check successful companies, their more valuable assets are intangible assets, usually IP assets or trade secrets that or patents or their, their brand or the trademark. And this is something that really impacts in a positive way the economy of the country. A small companies also, uh, because we, 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 when you talk about big companies, you say, oh, they are successful and they are making money because they have IP. But they start at some point, they were at some point in the past, they were small. And the, one of the best ways to grow is to protect your intangible assets, to encourage this innovation, to develop technologies. And one of the great ways to invest in more technologies is to have the return of having, for example, an asset as a patent, because it gives you an exclusivity for some time so you can recover the investment, and then you can reinvest in that. So this is something that really impacts the economy. What we want with developing countries or what we look is to make them aware that they are about the importance of IP, about the importance of protecting assets. but there's always a balance. We need also to look for the country's need and check what they want. Uh, there are like, this is, a, for example, a countries like um, in the past where 
not a, a, a great economy. Like, for example, Korea was a country that really had a, not a high level of economy. And what they did in the past is that they were looking about different innovation in other countries. And then they built strong IP rights. And on that, they grew as one of the biggest economies. They are filing a lot of patent applications. Uh, so this is really important for the country economy, but also for in individual inventors. So individual inventors in a country that many people develop a lot of things, but they don't know how to protect them. And then these ideas just uh, like uh, are lost. Another person copy the idea. So they don't get any compensation on every reward. So IP really encourage innovation. That's why I say it's like it, it, it shows that the economy gets better when there is a lot of, a, not a lot of protection, but the right protection of IP. So it's the monetization of these intangible assets that really leads IP to make or break economies. Yes. And also it, it attracts investors because if you don't have a, a IP system in place, uh, then other like foreign, in, foreign people, foreign companies, foreign inventors won't be interested in going to your country. What will be my interest of selling my product in your country? I cannot protect, for example, my invention if there, if I, if it's a, a patentable invention and I don't have the exclusivity to sell it for a certain period of time. Or this also help, help like, for example, to negotiate licenses. So I, local people can also use this technology. Uh, with, there is a lot of transfer of technology. But without IP, it's difficult to have this transfer of technology because I will not give you my technology if I don't have something in reward, you know, like a, like a, if I don't gain anything. So this make like a, the economy to like IP encourage trade, you know, it's like trade is it's very it's like an instrument to trade, to negotiate, to access to different technologies. Uh, if I have a protected trademark, I can also be recognized in the market for having a specific standards for selling a specific products. So it's a very important asset for companies and for inventors and for society. So it facilitates trust in commercial transactions, especially, you know, those who want to invest and, and set up business in a particular country. Having that established IP system of rights will motivate them to invest. If there is no IP rights, then they're going to be more reluctant and not want to do business. Am I correct in characterizing it like that? Yes, exactly. And it seems that actually in this last year, despite the pandemic, there's been a growth in international patent applications. So I saw a post done by WIPO recently and showed that the world amount of international patent application had increased by 4%, but that there is particularly strong growth in developing economies such as Malaysia, Chile, Brazil. Why do you think that is? I think that the pandemic, it was difficult in many fronts, but one thing that the pandemic really have done is that you have to reinvent yourself. So people really need to become creative, you know, and to create different, different things. And I'm not only talking about COVID technologies, because this is one of the other things, but it's hard, the, the, not being able to, to connect with people, not being able to go to work many. Companies had or struggled with the effects of the pandemic. So many people lost their job, maybe. So people really become creative on developing different businesses, uh, technologies, 
And I think that we thought that it will be it will be a huge impact on innovation. But on the contrary, people were very resilient. And uh, there's a lot of innovation going on because really people want to continue uh, developing their businesses to continue communicating with uh, different stakeholders. And there's a lot of innovation that it was going on before the pandemic is still going on. And I think that the IP is one of the of the fields that have not been impacted uh, by the pandemic because really I think people is more uh, creative today. You have to create and to innovate and to sell. Uh, even there's like e-commerce, a lot of uh, transactions going online. And all these are subjects of intellectual property rights and especially like patents. So that's great that the, we saw this growing on the filing of patents around the world. So it's almost like the COVID pandemic accelerated or pushed innovation. Yes. Uh, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. With the pandemic, people being put out of jobs, it forced people to get more creative and, and come up with new business ideas, new businesses, new inventions. Fascinating. <laughs> One thing, though, the pandemic has also shown, uh, specifically with regards to vaccines, is the social interest and importance to inventions. Now, one of the most commonly placed complaints against intellectual property systems is at the end of the day, it's anti-business, it's anti-innovation because it allows businesses, specifically big corporations like Amazon, Google, Facebook, to build their own monopolies on these intangible assets. And so while they make money off it, the society doesn't benefit. And so people could say, well, at the end of the day, it just helps a very small minority of inventors get rich, those who got there first. Or it just allows people to get rich by filing patents and intellectual property without having those inventions benefit society, almost like patent trolls, uh, I think they've been called. So what would you say to that characterization? Uh, I will say that it's always the discussion around patents about if it's good or not, and if it's only benefit a small group of, of people or businesses. I don't think it's a problem of intellectual property of patents. It's a problem of abusing the system. And when there is an abuse of the system, of course, it doesn't benefit the society. But the IP system usually had these um, tools to prevent people from abusing the this, this system. There are, of course, abuses, but then there are other tools that countries and uh, users need to know that there is. So, for example, if there is an abuse of a patent, there are compulsory licenses to get this uh, technology used by other people. So I will say that uh, this is not true. Uh, some people get benefit, a lot of benefits. But if there is abuse, the system will have the tools to attack these abuses. But it's more of the benefits than the, the bad effects because there is a lot of inventions and patents, especially, they are public. So people, you know, it, this is one of the nature of patents. So all inventions or different technologies that are developed and protected, the whole world can take a look about these inventions. You can go to all the patents database and see what is going on. So it really help people to, you can have access to knowledge and then you can develop around or design around and develop more and more things or inventions to help the community. 
And I know these big companies have been benefit from all this, but we all are benefit from what they're doing also. We all are uh, buying things in, in Amazon. We all need all this technology. Uh, imagine a pandemic without this e-commerce or uh, without this globalized country. It will be like uh, very difficult to cope with. So it's more the benefits than the the, the, the bad things. But in any case, any problem or any Patent trolls, like you said, is is an abuse of the system. So it doesn't make patents or IP good or bad. It's just the way they are used. And we really need to 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 learn how to what are the tools available to to prevent this type of conducts or abuses of different uh, companies and help individuals or inventors to really also benefit from the system and from all this ecosystem that we have been talking about. So then the issue isn't so much patents and the intellectual property system, but rather human behavior, um, yes. <laughs> say, particularly in an anti-beneficial way, particularly, say, kind of like game theory, you know, um, people kind of trying to take out more than what they're putting in. Exactly. But at the same time, just because it's not the system's fault doesn't mean that the system shouldn't develop safeguards. And I'd be curious to know if, say, WIPO guidance or countries currently differentiate when it comes to patents, the patent rules and regulations for, say, medicine versus patent rules and regulations for, say, a technology for e-commerce. Because on the one hand, you know, society has a lot more to benefit or has a much greater interest at improving the accessibility to medical inventions, let's say like the vaccine, than it does say an e-commerce platform. People would be okay with businesses honing in on their IP rights for an e-commerce platform. That way they make as much money as they want. But when it comes to something like vaccines or something as precious as human life, people feel less comfortable with companies being able to profit off that, even though, as you said, without these systems in place, these companies wouldn't make these inventions. Yes, I know this is always a sensitive topic because people are always think like when it comes to health and to access to these technologies, like for example, vaccines, when you see patents in the middle, you are like, oh, there will be a monopoly of for this product, of course, Patented products are more expensive because there's only like a monopoly from production. You have not free access to that technology. So I understand that. But when I talk to countries or to people about IPs, like this is not the right approach. Like uh, the problem on access of technology is not an IP problem. You can have a patent on a, for example, health technology, but there are different tools in place. And also countries, going back to what we said about what countries has, the different options they have. For example, least developing countries, they don't have patents for pharmaceuticals. So if you have a patent for a vaccine in the United States, but if countries in Africa, they don't have patents for pharmaceuticals, there will be free access to that technology. So people doesn't know. I think that there is more like note knowledge of a correct knowledge of the system than always saying, OK, patents are not good. Patents may block or the access to certain technologies. It's not like this. You have to, to see what what is really in place also. There is different tools if there is a patent on a vaccine, for example, COVID vaccine. 
there is only one uh, pharmaceutical producing, one company producing that. And it's patented, let me say, all over the world, I will say. There are different tools. You can have licenses, different voluntary licenses. You can have compulsory license. If they don't want to give license, the governments can say, please grant a license to a local company so we can produce this vaccine. The problem really, it's more other issues that are in place. The health systems in the different countries, the regulatory barriers. I was reading today an article just today about how the problem with or currently with the access to COVID technologies is not patents, but more the regulatory frameworks in place. So how to obtain the commercialization permit to distribute the vaccine in your in the country. There are a lot of uh, different regimes and different um, I will say requirements you need to fill to put the vaccines in place. Yes. Also the health system, how does it work? Like it's everybody having access to it for free. It always happens with certain medicines. Is the, the health system allowing access for all the community? It is not everybody has to pay for that. So if you have to pay for that, how expensive is that? So all the problems and access to medicines, when you really go in deep to the analysis, the less problem is patents or the IP protection. It's more other factors that come in place. Usually very expensive medicines. When you check for super expensive medicines, I remember there was a study in Colombia about super expensive medicines for cancer or for HIV. The most expensive medicines were not if they didn't have a patent in place. The problem is that they were very high technology and no one were, were able to reproduce that. So what really it's a problem is that there is maybe there is not a lot of infrastructure in different countries to produce or there is no transfer of technology of that invention. But IP is not the bad or the good character in this. There are a lot of different variables in place that can impact the access to a certain technology. Okay, so essentially problems of access have a lot more to do with the particular infrastructure set in place and the particular decisions taken from a governmental level than the actual patent rules themselves. Yes, I will say also, of course, the IP has an impact on that, but there are ways to overcome the patent or the IP right. But there are other things that are really complicated and that it depends on how many requirements you need for the FDA, for example, to approve a medicine or for a country to accept a different uh, technology or vaccine. I have read that many countries have not approved some of the vaccines because they have different requirements and it may be a problem in the in the laws, regulatory laws. This is another uh, area for lawyers to, to also to work on. Another interesting area of law to explore there. Yes. Going from an international perspective, so we talked a lot about there is no one-size-fits-all solution and no. the intellectual property system should be set up in each country in a tailor-made fashion. But at the same time, as you said, you know we live in an era of e-commerce, of globalization. A lot of trans-border transactions happen every day, especially digitally. So wouldn't it make sense to transition to an international patent system rather than have these bespoke, say, national patent systems which have different rules? I will say that it'd be easier for users and maybe from a cost perspective, it will be easier, but it will not have a positive impact in all countries. Uh, so that will be uh, something that, of course, there are like international standards or trends that countries are trying to kind of uh, align. 
This is what also what WIPO do. It's a, a forum for countries to discuss. So, oh, what are you doing? What are we doing with this different uh, type of protection? What are we seeking for? We're seeking for patents, quality patents. How are we all trying to align kind of uh, the requirements, uh, the technologies, the exceptions that are applied. But having one system, it's uh, very difficult because you first you may need to change all local laws and to to change all these um, different um, systems, uh, legal systems in each country. You know, all, all countries have different, uh, some are case law based, some are more legal basis. And then what works in one devel- developed country doesn't work in a least developing country. So this is this will not have a positive impact or benefit the, the society at the end. It's something that you say will be easier, but then it won't because you need to really check the needs or what the country really, really need and what they want to, to develop to, to become like a, to have a, a, a better economy. So it's not the, the idea and it's not as WIPO, we are not looking for that. What we need is balance. And to have balance, you need to check all the needs of all the stakeholders involved. So having one patent system uh, is not um, something that may may benefit all the countries. Not, not uh, now. So then it's better in recognizing this globalization to have these different systems agree on certain international standards, you know, to cooperate with each other, but not to replace them with one unitary system. Exactly. And also to, there are tools to, to facilitate that. Uh, for example, WIPO have the Patent Cooperation Treaty. So if you are an inventor, you can come to WIPO and file a patent. And what WIPO does is like to help you to search if your technology could be protectable or not is novel or not. So there is international authorities that make a search and tell you, okay, your invention could be protected. These are like the different things that already exist in the state of the art that we call what it's already in the market or in the prior art. And then with that information, people make informed decision about going to protect their invention in different countries. And it's like a way to facilitate the process for for in the inventors and companies and also to give time to decide if it's worth it or not to protect your invention in these different countries. But then, you know, countries are, there are less sovereignty. You cannot impose country. You have to protect this or that because they may not be interested in protecting this, that particular technology. So there are tools to facilitate the process and that's what WIPO work on but uh, not to build an international system that it has the same requirements for all. And so, so far at your time at WIPO, what has been the best, so your highlight moment? What's been your favorite moment on the job so far? Oh, I have a lot of uh, great <laughs> uh, favorite moments at WIPO, but uh, I think that uh, one of my favorites it's that I, I helped developing country to write their law on patents. I work very hard with the government officials to review their law, to like uh, put in place a law that has like a clear process on how to obtain a patent in that country. And after I think like a, a year or more than uh, of work, I received this announcement that the, the law was enacted in the country. 
and that I received like a letter, WIPO received a letter from the government officials sent to the director general thinking of my work uh, of putting in place that law and that it would be helping the country. And after that, I have seen, because I've been working with this country very closely, that uh, they are moving with patents and they are uh, like uh, the, the process of patents is moving and they are really grateful. So all this, like uh, being able to help countries, when I saw that letter, I was like, this is like what I, I that really makes or gives sense to to the job you know like seeing how you can have an impact in a country i i never thought that i will be in this position and this is what is great about wipe so especially that having that impact not, not only that direct impact but that impact on such a wide scale on a country level you know helping all inventors of that country helping all citizens of the country yeah imagine a country they were not able to process any patents because they didn't have system in place and now they are doing it and they are processing it and they are receiving patents from outside from uh, foreigners and i think that's great because they are very grateful of uh, what how this is changing the the flow of the of their economy so uh, uh, for me it was like i was super proud of myself when <laughs> when that happened <laughs> so you helped build the first intellectual property system for this country more than to put it, uh, how do you say, functional, because they had a, a law and a system, but uh, it was not a functional system at the moment. And so you said that you never saw yourself doing this uh, previously. So why don't we transition to your journey up until uh, WIPO? Now, you've said you've kind of been working in intellectual property for the last 15 years. Yes. Did you always know you wanted to do intellectual property? No. <laughs> when I was uh, in law school, I, I I didn't know. I think that when you're studying law, you you have some ideas of what you would like to do, but you, you really don't have a clue. That's that's the, the, the truth. You think that you know, but uh, I didn't know. Intellectual property was not very deep uh, in law school. We didn't have like a special like a class on that because it was just like a branch of commercial law. But then I took a like a seminar, extra curriculum seminar on that topic. And I... I love it. And I said, oh, I didn't know that this exists. You know, you always thinking about the movie and the criminal law and the judge and the trial. But this was like, oh, I didn't know this was like something new. And I got interested on that topic. So when I finished law school, and I was uh, preparing for my final exams. I checked the big law firms in Colombia that had intellectual property and I applied. I sent my CV like I'm interested, like, you know, spontaneous uh, <laughs> applying for a job. And one of the law firms called me and they were like, uh, oh, you, we received your CV. Do you like patents? And I was like, eh, not really. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would love to to get to know patents. And uh, and they were looking for, a, you know, a, just like a, someone to train and to learn, a junior, junior associate. And I, I started working on patents and I love patents since the first minute I saw one in that office, like seeing an invention of these pharmaceuticals companies. It was just like great. So that's where my journey began. And why, what is it that made you fall in love with patents and intellectual property? 
I think that because one of the things that when I was at high school, I wanted to study something to help people. And my father is a doctor, like a physician. He And I, I thought, okay, I will study medicine because this is what a little bit follow my father's um, legacy or and then uh, he took me I remember he took me to one of her sur- surgeries and I was like oh no this is not for me <laughs> <laughs> too much blood he can't deal with this <laughs> oh yeah the blood and I and he was like oh this is do you like it and I was like I think I I, I passed out in that uh, <laughs> and I said no I I may not this is not for me but so I said what can I do that really have an impact, but that is not medicine? And then I say, okay, maybe law is a good way to help people. I always like to study. I I was always very academic. I like research. I like to read a lot because to study law, you really need to be kind of a nerdy. <laughs> That's an understanding. You really need to like reading books or reading in general. <laughs> reading in general. And But then when I... I started uh, studying law and I said, okay, I like many of the areas, but when I saw patents, it was like, this was all this technology and uh, chemical compounds and engineer. Uh, but overall, I, 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 the first approach was with all these medicines and pharmaceuticals. And it was like, oh, I love science. I always loved science. I wanted to study medicine. I always liked this uh, like uh, side of my brain. I wanted to be a scientist or the doctor. But then having a sympathy, it was like the perfect combination between law and technology. And, you know, most of the patent lawyers have a technical background. I don't have because in Colombia, it doesn't work like this, but I would have loved to study chemistry or something like this and then become a lawyer and being able to to write these uh, patent uh, documents. Like, I don't know if you've seen a patent, like a real patent. I've never seen a patent. I've I filed my own trademark, but uh, I've never I've never written a patent. Not yet. That's, that's what I tell myself. <laughs> I have to tell you, this is like, uh, the you know, the most difficult document to write uh, it's a patent, like it's really complicated. Uh, you have to have a lot of skills because you have to know the law, but you have to, to know, of course, the technology. So it's something that you have to do with the inventor or with the scientist. And I remember one of my professors in the university in Chicago, because I did a master on intellectual property in Chicago, saying that patents is the more complicated legal document to draft. It's not a, a contract. It's not this merger and acquisition. It's a patent. And I was like, mm. he said, this is illegal because it's a legal document because it gives the framework of a very important right for for the, the inventor. And then when you see it, you say, my God, this is amazing. It's like a old explanation of what was before, what the technology is solving and what is now. It's like, a, I love it. I didn't understand most of it, but I love it. <laughs> So it represented that perfect combination between A, your academic and research side, B, that past interest and affinity for sciences, but also the law and all of that in one. one. It was just kind of love at first sight, as you were saying. Yes. (laughs) So you started working for law firms, commercial law firms uh, in the intellectual property department, Mm -hmm. and you were reviewing IP claims, uh, filing patents. So describe what made you want to transition out of that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I worked for like 10 years in, this, in law firms and um, 
I think it was a, a great experience from the academic perspective. I learned a lot, a lot about the substance of intellectual property. I learned a lot about how to use the system, what is a patent, what inventors or company want, how to use the legal system. But it was also a difficult journey, I will say, because a corporate world, it's very hard. And not everybody is able to, to make it in the corporate world, I will say. And um, at some point, all this uh, working in big law firms, is, I think it's a great experience, but you also need to, to, to be very... Everything is about money, you know, and I'm sorry to say for lawyers and law firms, <laughs> I hope I don't offend uh, anyone, but everything is about uh, money and about uh, billing and billing and billing. And really at some point, or even you are like, like involved in this like system working and working and working and doesn't have any life outside of the, of the job. And then a lot of um, conflicts uh, competency with the colleagues and the partners and so it's for me it's, it felt very unhealthy at the end I wasn't feeling comfortable in that environment even if I was uh, I learned a lot and uh, of course everyone wants to to earn money and have like a, a status uh, and being in the corporate world it's something it seduces you at the beginning but then you have to deal with all this uh, dark side <laughs> So, so at the end, I, for many reasons, I was out of this last law firm and um, I didn't know what to do, but I was sure that I didn't want to go back to that. So I was exploring like uh, going maybe to a company or I, I thought also of opening my own practice, you know, like, okay, maybe I can have my own practice, but. But it's all the same. You need to to be in this um, corporate world, and I think it was a miracle because I when I was in this uh, crisis, professional crisis, I received this uh, job vacancy from a colleague, kind of a mentor that I had in Colombia. He's a partner of a big law firm, and he said, "Oh, this may be of your interest." I will never forget this email. I have it still. I save it in my in my email, uh, and I saw this job uh, opening at Waipo, and I, you know, I never think that I will be able to, to come to Waipo. I was like, uh, Waipo was always like the high authority. Of course, I was filing patents in Waipo. I was receiving documents from Waipo. I was writing to Waipo, but it was something very like out of my league. I was. <laughs> And and I read that job description and I was like, oh, this is me. It's like it was just like a perfect. They were looking somewhere with my experience, speaking English and Spanish. Uh, and it was in Switzerland. And I was like, oh, I will apply. I think this could be a great experience because I was very reluctant to leave the patents. You know, I, I love patents. I love intellectual property. But Moving to a company was a risk of losing this specialization that I had. So basically, you wanted to kind of maintain that experience and involvement in intellectual property, but what you were leaving behind was the corporate culture. Yeah. And I didn't think it was possible to leave the corp to continue with patents without the corporate world, because, you know, patents are part of these uh, big companies. And, and, and when I've read this job description, I say, okay, this is it. Like I can continue working on patents, but uh, in a international environment. And I applied and 
I got the job. I I, I was like a, a miracle. <laughs> and so what was that like? Because up until that point, you had been specializing in intellectual property for the Colombian market. Yeah. And now you're working for the biggest organization in the world for intellectual property, advising all different types of countries and markets on IP systems. So what was that transition like? Oh, it was very scary. You know, it was like uh, really uh, scary. It puts you out of your comfort zone. Like it's like uh, amazing how scared I was, but how exciting I was. I think that only when you are out of your comfort zone, you can grow. And I really had to study a lot, to read a lot, because, you know, I came at WIPO and they, the first day my, my boss said, okay, read this law of this country and make comments. And I was like, my God. So I, <laughs> I really needed to read, to research a lot. So it kind of was amazing to go back to this academic part that I love because research part, because in the law firm, I don't, I didn't have the time to do that in a proper way. You know, you, of course you have to research for a specific case or for a specific consultation of a client. But with this, I really had to learn about a specific countries, different cultures. And it's a, it's been a quite of a journey because I think I've grew a lot in many, in many areas, learning to be in a multicultural environment. It's really a challenge because you. I was in Colombia and I know how Colombian lawyers think and I know the patent system in Colombia. But then I begin to see all these different options of systems and different alternatives that will never work in Colombia, but work in other places, for example. And also meeting people from different nationalities and traveling to different countries to sit with government officials with different, you know, religious backgrounds, language barriers. And it's been, uh, it's been amazing. Like it's been very scary, but amazing. And now I'm like, I didn't know what, what was going to be when I came the first time I came to Switzerland, but it's great because I keep specializing in patents. Now I know uh, patents in an international environment. So I keep my passion for that, but uh, I think I've developed different skills that are not even related with the law, but with the learn how to communicate to different audiences, learn how to speak in public, learn how to solve questions that you have to be, you know, you have to be the expert on the subject because WIPO is the expert. So if you are not at the level of being of the experts in the subject, what are we doing? Uh, you are not really helping. You cannot engage in, in interesting discussions. So it's been amazing. So it's almost like going to WIPO was almost discovering an entire other world outside of the Colombian market, learning all about the different traditions from an IP perspective, learning all the, the more about the different regulatory approaches, but also developing, say, relationships with people from other kind of cultures and backgrounds and also just developing your own soft skills. Exactly. Uh, so an entire transformation. You noticed a lot about kind of you know, the corporate culture ending up becoming all about money, competitiveness, working long hours. Do you feel that that's the case in WIPO or? No, it's, it, it, it's very different in WIPO because um of course, there's like a competence between colleagues. I'm not saying like people, there are a lot of uh, great professionals at WIPO, but it was a different form. I think that in the corporate world, you have to be, I don't want to sound rude, but uh, more like thinking for yourself and thinking about your career and your success. But in WIPO, it's like you need to be a team player. 
you need to to learn to to work with different colleagues from different countries and different cultures because the success of your goals will be always linked to the work that you're doing with other colleagues and uh, it's a um, you need to develop your soft skills. You need to co to communicate uh, in complex environments. I'm Spanish speaking, and you know I have to work with people always speaking in English and in French. So, like uh, learning to adjust to the French speaking people because Switzerland, uh, Geneva is a French speaking city. So it's a different, but I think that the challenge is more like an intellectual challenge. I arrived at Wipo and I met all these people, expert in many different areas, in many different cultures. All of them speak like five languages. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just like, I spoke English and I felt that I, it was great, but. Then I realized that it's more like an intellectual competition. I don't know how to say, but uh, it's a different uh, from the corporate world. So very much more an emphasis on kind of team effort that you're doing kind of this work and it's competition, but for the best of the team, for the best of the organization, rather than what's best for the individual and your career. Exactly. And and what's best for the country or the people like the, 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 the group that we are helping. And usually if you were with all the other colleagues, it will be better and it will be more successful than if you are by your own. Before kind of, you know, you went straight to WIPO, you undertook a master's at an American university in intellectual property law. Yeah. And I had kind of two questions. The first one is, what was your experience for someone who studied previously Colombian law in Spanish to then study intellectual property law, American intellectual property law in English? You know, what was it like that transition about learning a completely different legal system in a completely different language? Uh, yeah, it was. I have to say that I think this, it was one of the hardest things I had to do in my life. <laughs> I think that doing that gave me all the strength to then come to, to WIPO to do what I'm doing now, you know, because when I was, I went to, to Chicago to study my master, I, of course, I, I knew the international treaties and things, but I didn't know the U.S. or the American legal system. I knew some things, but I didn't knew how it worked really like uh, the, the real function. I thought that I spoke English very well until I arrived to the university. <laughs> And I remember I had a, my first class. I remember it was trademark law and practice. And I didn't understand anything that the professor said on the first class. I have to tell you that I was like, what? My, my brain was like completely off. We had to read something before the, the class. My brain didn't retain anything because it was so different. And also they ha he has this super American accent, Chicago accent. And for me, it's not like when you're, when you are in a law firm and you speak with clients, you can like, you're writing emails, there's a style, you have more tools, but this was like, he was saying a lot of things. And I was like, I didn't get anything. I remember I went out of this class and I cried. <laughs> I say, I, I'm not going to make it because it's like a super complicated to study when you are not a native on that language. And on top of that, knowing nothing about that system. Uh, so it was a very hard at the beginning, but I say, okay, there are a lot of international students. If they can, I can do it. Uh, so I decided to read and read and reread for the classes. I had to read more than an average student because I have to make notes and briefs. And I think that after one month, which is really hard because that month was very difficult, your brain just like switch 
And after one month, I even understand the professor's joke, you know, at the beginning, <laughs> You didn't understand anything and now you understand all the inside jokes and the kind of exactly. sophisticated expressions. And also the university had a great, um, I remember a great uh, tool for international students. They have like an, a class for, uh, I remember it was like um, building skills for foreign attorneys. And I had a great professor that she explain us how the legal system works. Like what is the, prof what does, when they said uh, this, uh, they're referring to, so they explain about the courts and the different decisions. And there you're with inter other international students. And I, I spoke with, I remember with one Italian friend that became my best friend there. And I asked like, did you feel like me on the same, on the first day of class or it was just me? And she was like, I also cried. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this, I think that that experience helped me to develop this kind of uh, skills, like soft skills, you know, like uh, communicating with people from other cultures, because I also met different people. I met professors from different backgrounds, and it gave me a lot of strength, you know, to move to where I'm now. I think if I didn't study abroad, I wouldn't be able to cope with this uh, job that I'm doing right now. It was great. So very much that forced adaptation, kind of, you know, yeah. being in a completely new environment where you start off not understanding anything, uh, but you kind of commit yourself to understanding and adopting. And eventually you just adapt and make that switch. Yeah. And, you know, I had a scholarship and if I didn't keep my, you know, my grades up, I will lose it. So it was really hard experience. I was <laughs> Talk about no pressure, no pressure. At all. <laughs> a lot of pressure. <laughs> I can imagine that having done a master's in intellectual property will have helped you a lot. But do you feel looking back, it was necessary in order to kind of do the job that you're doing today? Yes, definitely. The thing that many people think that law is like a very local profession. Yeah. Like, so if you're a lawyer, you can only, that what many people said, you can only work in your country. But uh, getting to know another legal system, it really helped me to understand like a different views of being a lawyer my writing skills were like developing a, in a high skill I of course my English improved at a hundred percent when I was studying in the U.S. and I really understand the different or the international element of intellectual property when I was in the U.S. even if we were studying cases U.S. cases and I think that that was a Something that I need to I need to open my mind and to see that there was a very important international element in intellectual property that I could explore part of being in Colombia. Because if I didn't go to Chicago, I think I will never see that like the way I, I saw it and the way I learned. And I saw all these lawyers, American lawyers, JD's professors, and it was a very enriching experience for the job that I'm doing now. I met a lot of IP professionals from around the world. For example, now when I have seminars or events, I invite my professors from the U.S. university <laughs> because I you, you learn to know different experts around the world. When you, if you stay in Colombia, you will never meet these people. So the, the the experience as a whole, kind of doing a master's in another country where you get to meet different professionals and different experts and learn about the different customs. So all of that you feel can, is essential. Yeah, I would recommend to everyone, if possible, to do it. <laughs> And what other skills would you say are necessary to work at WIPO? Uh, I think that the, the, the 
the main skill you need to develop at WIPO is communication skills, you know, the ability to communicate, uh, to convey a message to different audiences. This is something that it's, it's difficult because I was used to communicate the message to a specific clients. Uh, and here it's a very different. You need to be very like, uh, it's not your opinion. It's not, it's, you need to, you are representing an organization and you need to have a balanced approach of what you're saying. You need to be very careful of what you say. You need to develop your diplomatic skills. And also you need to not, I will say you, you cannot get offended about uh, hierarchical positions because you meet a lot of uh, different uh, people, government officials, ambassadors, even presidents. And then you need to, to understand that this is something that is part of these international organizations that they, and that you really need to develop these uh, diplomatic skills and um, learn about other cultures, respect that cultures and behavior in an international environment. It's really a challenge because, you know, some things that it may not bother you may bother a person from another nationality, the way you say things. I'm not a native speaking, English speaking, so also convey messages in English when I have to. I, of course, I work with a lot of Latin American countries, so it's easier when I'm speaking Spanish. But I think you need to to be a great communicator to work at Adwipe. <laughs> and what was the application process like for Wipo? I I just like I saw the 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 vacancy and I I applied uh, online. Uh, it was like a regular application on the internet, but you know I I didn't know anyone at Wipo. I didn't have any like a tip recommendation or. I just like filled my application. I wrote my motivation letter. Uh, I was very passionate writing my letter uh, saying that I love patents and all this uh, experience that I had. And I think that that's it. I always, people say that it's very difficult to get into international organizations, that you will, you need to know someone, you need to be recommended, you need to work in the government. I think it's a matter of uh, timing. <laughs> And also, sometimes you are in the right moment, in the right place, and the organization is looking for what you can offer. So I always encourage people like uh, go into in the webpage and look for the jobs and jobs. Just apply because WIPO and organizations in general are looking for a lot of professionals and young professionals too. Then I went to a couple of interviews. I did a test that then some interviews, and then they called me. I was the chosen one. And I, I was super happy <laughs> and scared. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but very much kind of that emphasis of, you know, going, taking initiative. You know, sometimes, as you say, there's a right place and a right time for everything and, and the opportunity may rise at any given moment. But the idea of taking a chance on yourself is what I seem to be getting from, from your answer. That idea of don't believe that these organizations are so far out of reach as you once thought that they were the heavens of intellectual property. But in fact, you know, do be bold, kind of trust yourself, you know, push yourself, believe in yourself and, you know, things can work out as they have for you. Yeah, exactly. You will, you will not win the lottery if you don't buy the ticket. So please apply, apply to the job because, you know, it's like you just need to visualize. I remember that when I applied to the job at WIPO, I put a picture of WIPO in my cell phone and I said, I'm going there, <laughs> I'm going there. and. I'm here. 
a perfect, a, a nice little motivation. Put it on your lock screen on your phone. And that way, you know, you have to look at it every day to remind yourself of the dream. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what words of inspiration would you have to law students and recent law graduates who right now want to pursue that dream career, but feel put off by, as we talked about, the competitiveness that comes in the law and the legal industry, but also with the pandemic? I will say just like it. Law is one of the most versatile uh, professions that you can find, if not the most, I will say. It's like if you are a lawyer, you can do anything you want. You can work in any area. So I will say just like uh, there's a lot of competition. Yes, there's a lot of we are in a globalized world. There's a lot of professionals, a lot of people with a lot of skills, but also there is a lot of areas to work on. So I will say that just keep going with the dream, whatever it is, or if you don't know, like I didn't know when I was in the university, just like explore all these different um, areas of law. And uh, today with the pandemic, I believe that the pandemic has brought very positive things on a, not, uh, of course, not on the health issue, but on the professional side is like, you know, now this like uh, being a lawyer in an office, fancy office in a high building in a big city to have the clients, you know, with the pandemic, you can offer services all around the world from your home. Everybody's working from home. Everybody's connecting. So I, I think that you, what you need now is like to develop your creativity to deliver content in different ways. There are a lot of virtual platforms, uh, virtual uh, tools. And it's just, well, as I was saying, reinvent yourself and look for the all the different options that uh, you can do it from your computer, yeah, from your home. And uh, not, you don't have to be engaged in a big law firm. You don't have to be engaged in a big company. Not even in a big organization. You can just like uh, offer your, your knowledge or your services to many people, and then you will meet the right people, the right person, and you can get engage in different projects. And you know, lawyers are in a unique position to help people or like uh, groups of people, companies or communities, or because everybody needs a lawyer, not all, only for to solve problems, but to build their dreams, you know? And that's why I say like, there's a lot of need of lawyers. So don't care about the competition, just like... Uh, Keep seeking this dream, keep preparing yourself and yeah, a lot of creativity can be done with the, I don't think the pandemic will affect that. I think that this will bring a lot of opportunities because now you can work with a person on the other side of the world and have a, a great professional experience with that. This is This wasn't happening when I was... <laughs> beginning my career you need to go to the office every day there was not all this communication all these technological tools that we have today yeah no very well put, beautifully put and i totally agree with you in that despite the negative things that the pandemic has brought one of the benefits has been that accessibility and the ability to engage in conversations like we are now in different countries across the world, but as well, just the future that that has for careers, especially for lawyers who can have an impact to so many people, all from the comfort of their home, instead of having to be at the office and what that will mean for organizations and their relationship with the physical office space. Yes. We've talked a lot about 
how much you love intellectual property and how important intellectual property is. Now, I usually like to end off these interviews with a bit of a fun question. So you've told me what your favorite legal law subject was. Now, what's your most hated law subject? Which subject in law school did you hate with a passion? Tax law. Oh my God. <laughs> I hated that. It was like, for me, I I struggled with that. Uh, I hated the, the professor, how he has to remember. I hated the assignment. I hated when I had to study and it was, I, I just didn't like it. And I really admire tax lawyers. So uh, just like a, a congratulations for them because it's really something for me. It's super boring. Uh, and, and but it's also uh, you, you need to have a lot of uh, mathematical skills and it's also a very sensitive area so I hated that sorry <laughs> you have to you have to be an accountant you have to love the numbers and all the rules yeah. exactly <laughs> and if you are advice uh, if your tax lawyer doesn't advise you you are really in trouble so yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, Carolina, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. If any of our listeners uh, want to ask you any questions, can they do so? And if so, how? Yes, sure. Like you, they can contact me through LinkedIn, and uh, I will be pleased to to reply. Uh, most of young professionals, a lot of people ask about the uh, career opportunities or advice, and I will be happy to to talk to them. So I will be pleased. Well, thank you so much, Carolina. Have a great day. Thank you, Max. You too. Bye. Well, that's the show, folks. If you enjoyed learning about the World Intellectual Property Organization and want to know more, feel free to reach out to Carolina. We've linked her LinkedIn profile in the show notes below. Special thanks to our unsung heroes for the week, Claire Herberg for editing and producing the episode, Andrew Waddell for scripting the show notes and blog post, and Matt Gedridge for the absolute banger of a theme song. Enjoying legal tea? Well, we want to hear from you. What areas would you like us to explore? What topics would you like us to brew up? Give us a shout on our social media platforms at legaltea.uk or send us an email at hello at legaltea.uk and spill us your tea. Till next time.